was a little diatribe I didn't mean to take. But here we are. So, uh, welcome back to the Lake Erie Library. Uh, I am Beth. And I'm Britta. And I sound very husky today because I am getting over a summer cold. So, at least we sound different to listeners today. We might. I don't know. I think I'm existentially suffering a summer cold right now. <laughs> Emotional cold. It's been a week. It's been a really rough week. We we both had flooded basements. It was like Night of the Twisters in our part of Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot going on. Without the, without the plus of Devin Sawa being involved. So, it was just all garbage it was all garbage all right so we're here to discuss with you today uh dear listeners i wish i wish we had like a cool thing to call we'll get there yeah we'll get there we'll we'll figure it out not today but anyways we're here to discuss with you today some summer films summer horror films so uh the difference between these films and any other horror films which I always like Halloween horror films particularly. Like, that's really my jam. But sor- summer horror films have, like, their own little niche, I feel like. Because, like, you know, you're like, when am I safe from horror? And the answer is never. You're never safe from it. It happens all year round. So we're going to discuss with you some of these you may know. Some of these you might be like, I have never heard of that movie, but it sounds interesting. And I'm going to check it out. So... Let's begin. Let's dive in. Yeah. I think summer horror in particular, it's uh, it sort of plays on that whole, like, you know, you should be scared of the dark. So, obviously, like, you know, Halloween horror, autumnal horror, winter horror, it's dark out more often than it's light out. So, these long days, you think you're safe in the light, but, like... You're never safe. You're not safe, as Beth said. So, I... um want to start with I, I feel like we should start with the two movies that actually like happen on the solstice which are the wicker man and midsummer we're talking about when i say the wicker man i'm talking about the og wicker man from england which is considered one of the best british horror films um from 1973 not the one with nicholas cage i You'll come to find out, I personally love Nicolas Cage. Like, unapologetically love that man. So you're never going to hear, like, oh, God, Nicolas Cage for me. Um, We'll just talk about the OG one, because it's considered the superior film. (laughs) It's a... Yeah, it's pretty wild. Now I'm just thinking about the Nicolas Cage one, though, because you brought... What is he? The bees! Yeah, that one. That's probably what most of you know about. My God, I'm sorry for what I just did to your ears. I'm looking at my screen now. I should have given a warning. We're going to have to put a Nick Cage warning on any episode where we discuss him because that's going to keep happening. I actually, the soundtrack for the original Wicker Man, it's like superb. It's so strange and like folk horror-y and it is... the a good chunk of my Halloween playlist. Excellent. Excellent. I have a Halloween playlist. It's on Spotify. I'll link it for everyone's enjoyment. I start listening on the first day of October and that's all I listen to through the entire month. I too have a Halloween playlist, but it's like 
on my YouTube page because I, I don't have Spotify. I need to get with the times. I'm a I'm an on the cusp millennial for I, well, I technology. Didn't, I didn't have Spotify. I had YouTube music for the longest time. Google Play Music, which became YouTube music. But then I realized that you can get Spotify really cheap if you're a student. Oh. So oh, okay. And it's like bundled with my Hulu and it used to be Showtime as well. Oh. And now Showtime is somewhere else and I gotta pay eleven ninety nine for it. But that's the only reason I switched to Spotify is okay. because I got it for really cheap. Original Wicker Man. <laughs> oh my god. Look at this poster for it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And just the giant wicker man with the sun shining through him. Incredible. Yeah, but the music from it, there's like this weird... The song I always think of is the one where it's like the... Now, I know I'm going to butcher it. It's the... like. It reminds me of like and the dog and the leaf and the leaf and the tree and the oh, tree okay. and the house and the house and the car and the car. And the, it's like there's listing things. Mm-hmm. But it's like these weird like... Like folky British children singing it. Which inherently makes it kind of creepy though too. Yeah. Children children singing should be joyous, but it is really one of the most terrifying things yes. out of context. Yes. And it's just very like inadvertently spicy, the whole movie. Like the whole thing is a, a fertility festival essentially. Right, right. And so... Like, they have a whole bunch of songs about just, like, going to Bone City. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) again, sung by small British children and teenagers. Uh, (laughs) I just broke her a little bit. Sorry. So, uh, let's start with, if you guys haven't seen it, it, again, was made in 1973, and it stars... Uh, Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Britt Eklund is another uh, famous name. And uh, it the essential plot synopsis of it is that... Actually, I'll, I'll let Britta take this over <laughs> because I, I have not seen the OG Wicker Man. It is on my to-be-watched list. Um, but being a mom now means less... Uh, less movie time for me so i have to like pencil it in my schedule it's been a long time since i've seen the remake so maybe you can help chip in like with the differences i'll be honest i haven't seen the remake. <laughs> okay Just clips never of it. mind then no one tell <laughs> nicholas cage that she has you. disappointed him so um this original one it takes place on an island off the coast of scotland and the main character is he's a police officer and he he shows up he's sort of a devout christian and he shows up and finds this island essentially full of celtic pagans as she mentioned it is like a a lauded film it has much acclaim to it yes um and so he he essentially he goes there to investigate the disappearance of a girl it's a girl has gone missing he gets sent there to see if he can try to figure out what happened to her. He shows up and everyone's just kind of like banging it out in like the open. Like they're in fields getting it on. Like kids are just running around around these people who are fornicating outside. So the question is, is it a horror movie? Because this was made in the 70s during kind of like, you know, devout 
Catholicism and Christianity, so the idea of like sex being out in the open and whatnot is just it's too much to bear for our, our poor little uh, you know, Christian <laughs> sentience. You know, it that's possible. Sensibilities. That's possible. And they really like harp in on like the phallic symbolism of the maypole while these kids are dancing around it with ribbons and he's staying the main character is staying at a local inn and he starts to notice all of these photographs from past celebrations and he hones in on the fact that there's always a may queen which Mm -hmm. will come up later when we discuss midsummer (laughs) and he he starts asking questions about these photographs and he notices that the one from the most recent celebration is missing so he starts asking and the landlord's like oh no it well it broke the frame broke so so we um we we don't have that one up and so then he starts asking kids at the local school about the girl who was missing her name's rowan and they all just act like they don't know who she is that she never existed she's not real and he, you know, goes in and he checks all of the school records and she's she's there. So he asks a teacher and the teacher tells him, you need to go check this grave. Oh. And it is listed as being her grave. He asks, can we dig her up? Like, I need to make sure that this is really her. Mm-hmm. And... Then the the local like island leader, Lord Summer Isle, because this is the name of the island they're on, Summer Isle, explains that, you know, well, you know, my, my grandfather came here and he he sort of propagated all of these fruit trees. And, you know, it's it's really a credit to him that he was able to grow all of this beautiful nature in Scotland's, you know, weird climate and you know, the old gods will will bring these new strains and prosperity as long as we keep up, you know, our, our sacrifices to them and we show them mm-hmm. that we care and we follow Ooh. their ways. And so that's why we're all pagans. And so, y- you know, we can dig her up, but just be careful of, of how we treat the earth and, and respect the earth. And he digs up the grave, pulls out the coffin... And what do you think's inside? I hope bees. <laughs> <laughs> that would be incredible. It's not. It's a dead rabbit. <laughs> but he also finds the missing harvest photo with Rowan in it. And she's around a bunch of empty boxes because the harvest had failed. Oh, So he starts looking into what this guy was talking about with the pagan gods and finds that human sacrifice used to be the go-to. And he assumes Rowan is going to be sacrificed to appease the gods. So he's now on this time crunch to save Rowan. And so he goes... this is happening by the solstice, right? Correct. Gotcha. So he goes, he finds, like, he can't get off the island because somebody messed up his plane. They broke his radio. He can't call for help. He ends up infiltrating, like, their little uh, festival. He Everybody's sort of wearing masks and things like that. So mm-hmm. he goes undercover, and he sees Rowan's there. He sets her free, and they try to run away, but they end up catching them and Rowan is just like no these are my people I'm gonna go back oh 
this is when Summer Isle tells our, our main guy, she was not supposed to be the sacrifice. You were supposed to be the sacrifice. Ooh. So this whole thing is just a twist that it was planned from the beginning. This is how they were going to get him there. This is how they were going to sacrifice him. And he fits their four requirements, which is that he came of his own free will. He has the power of a king because he's a police officer. He's a virgin. <laughs> oh, no. And he's a fool. So the crops are failing. They need a sacrifice. And they're going to sacrifice him when the next harvest fails again. So they stick him inside a giant wicker man <laughs> with a bunch of animals mm-hmm. that are also sacrifices. Uh, they stand around it and sing some more like <laughs> like happy go lucky May songs and um, they set it on fire and burn him alive. <laughs> the end. The end. Happy times. Yeah, still considered one of like the best British horror movies, and it's like one of the first daytime horror movies. So m- most of this movie does take place in the daytime. Yeah, if. if if it didn't end in sacrifice, it also, as we've mentioned before in past episodes, would just sort of look. Well, and I guess the naked body is writhing outside as well. Take those and the human sacrifice away and it would look like something like a little cozy, quaint English, Scottish <laughs> town where... With the geese. <laughs> Primrose and... And Eunice. And Eunice would just be enjoying a cup outside. Look at the wee ones dancing around the maple. I really hope uh, we don't in the future get like very British listeners going like, man, these Americans are so rude. Well, they're going to get really mad because I just did like a weird northern English accent. This takes place in Scotland, which is not England. No. Sorry, Scotland. (laughs) David Tennant will never listen to this. Nope. (laughs) Uh, so another daytime horror movie flash forward to 2019 uh, this is Ari Aster's Midsommar stars uh, Florence Pugh <sighs> Florence Pugh and that's actually the only person I remember off the top of my head <laughs> Jack Rayner Jack Rayner that's right he's incredibly good looking but plays a total tool he does and um Will Poulter, who has since become like much more famous. He's on the most recent season of The Bear, and he's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And then what is um, the guy from the guy from The Good Place? I gotta ask the Google machine. So while she's doing that, um, if you haven't watched that movie, I would recommend you do. Also, a daytime horror film. I I don't think there's. If there are any night or dark scenes, there's it's very few. William Jackson. William Jackson. He plays Cheaty on The Good Place. That's right. That's right. Um, so anyways, so this movie is, this movie is really about a breakup. Um, <laughs> good for her. Good for her. Uh, so this movie follows uh, Florence Pugh's character. Her name is... Danny. Danny. And Danny is suffering um, a huge tragedy. Uh, she loses both of her parents and her sister in a murder-suicide. That scene, which opens, Haunting. essentially opens, it is so interestingly shot. Yes. It is haunting as well. Yes. And, and her reaction is 
like I'm getting goosebumps thinking about I it. I am too. But, but I, I just I think cold. about that opening scene and just how it it follows like the line through the house because it is essentially through the car exhaust. Right. They, right. It's carbon monoxide poisoning, et cetera, et cetera. So Danny finds out that her sister, who was not mentally well, killed their parents and herself. And she is with this guy. Um, and she essentially leans on him for support for, I think, what, the next year or so. But she's obviously depressed. I mean, why wouldn't you be? <laughs> like, I she, feel like that's a very normal reaction to this immense amount of grief. Correct. She lost her entire family in one go on top of having for years felt the the weight of what it is like having a family member with severe mental health issues like bipolar right. disorder. Right. And so it's the, that constant worrying that something like this is going to happen and then it happens. And then her boyfriend, Christian, is not the most patient person dealing with her grief no so he he and his buddies uh have been talking about going to sweden right yes correct yes sweden to harga uh so they've been talking about going there because they do also have like a foreign exchange student living with them and they're like they're going to go visit his village essentially to uh witness the customs and christian as kind of like a last ditch effort um invites Danny with them and I believe Pele also oh, Pele, extended yes. the offer to her too uh, who all of like when when she's not around you see like them all kind of being broy about like she needs to get over herself like why haven't you dumped her etc cetera, etc cetera. so it does not paint any of these guys in really a super sympathetic light yeah i think i think it's more also as like a, a CYA a cover your own mm-hmm. butata because he the reason Christian doesn't say anything to Danny about this ahead of time is because he didn't plan on still being with her by the time the trip came around he was going to break up with her right and then her whole right. family died right so and essentially especially his two out of the three are real jerks about like how sad she is so they all pack up and go to Sweden and at first everything seems cool little weird but like pretty chill a little eccentric if you will um and they're just exploring kind of these customs and this culture of uh pele and you know it seems like it's gonna be all right they as soon as they get there they uh, take mushrooms (laughs) and trip on them um and then it's and it's such a beautifully shot film like it is it is gorgeous just fields of like beautiful wildflowers everything is very bright the colors are like the contrast is like way it's like very saturated yes very saturated the all of the village members wear white against like very green landscape and then um in the back of the village there is this like bright yellow triangle it looks kind of like a tent, but it's like a structure. Yeah, it's essentially a cabin, but I'm sure there's like a proper word for it, but I'm not an architect, so I don't know what that is. But it is the most vibrant color of yellow. Yes. Essentially, they are all participating in these customs leading up to Midsommar, the festival of like celebrating the summer solstice. And 
in Sweden, if you don't know geographically, they have the like it's a 24 hour day essentially uh, because they're so close to the North Pole. So they have like so many beautiful hours of daylight. And so they are doing these customs and then things start to get weird. Um, and at this point, if, if you have not seen it, you're going to want to jump ahead because we're going to discuss some very spoilery things from this one. Yes. I'm not so worried about doing that with the Wicker Man because I feel like a lot of people are not going to watch the one that I watched and you might only sort of hate watch the Nicolas Cage one because it is a bit sillier inadvertently. So y- you're going to want to jump ahead a little bit if you don't want to have spoilers, but we are going to discuss the sort of twists and turns of the plot now. Right. So the first thing that they witness, I believe, is is it the human sacrifice? Is that where they're like, yeah, oh, stuff's the, getting real. The ceremony on top of the cliffs. So uh, they witness to, I would say, elderly people of the village um, essentially sacrifice themselves and jump off this cliff. There's and They're 72. They're 72. And in full Ari Aster fashion, um, you get to see all the nitty gritty, horrible, like, boat bones like snapping and stuff like that and you hear the crunch of like the bodies hitting the ground and it's it's awful ariaster has a real thing for heads getting smashed in and women keening yes (laughs) Yes. in agony (laughs) which you know that's your thing that's your thing uh sometimes it can be a bit much like I don't mind the women keening so much, but like the head ones, I'm just like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like deflated basketballs. Yes. Um, so then they're like, this is not what we signed up for. And Danny's like, I need to get the heck out of here. Like, I'm done with this. Like, take me home. And, and this, Yeah. And then this is and this is something that I'm going to talk about later with other movies, too. But this is where it sorts to it sort of comes into that, like, cultural I don't want to say empathy. It's just like cultural awareness, differences in culture, because Danny is an American is horrified by this. Essentially, you know, like we would not we would not euthanize elderly people here. But that is essentially it is like a self euthanization, willing participants. Right. There. And she's horrified by it. But they in this community expect this this is what your life leads up to everyone willingly does this right and you you essentially live like this very nice good prosperous life and this is like your kind of way of giving back to the earth and giving back to the community that has provided for you all this time right and then at that point also is when josh cheaty yes (laughs) Is like, I'm going to write my senior thesis on this. Right. He's like an anthropology student or, you know, a sociology student, something like that. And then Christian being the dirt bag he is, is like, I also am going to write my thesis about this. And he's like, you can't do that. Like, I literally have been studying this culture and working with Pele for like ever. And now you're essentially like stealing my thunder. Right. And and so they're caught up in their like bro fight. I know I hear the tater tot screaming too. Yes. <laughs> um, so the this like bro this bro fight uh, over who's gonna write their thesis and stop stepping on my toes. And Pele is just like, Danny, you know what? Like 
you're very welcome here. I really want you to stay here. I understand your pain. You know, my parents died too. So I know what that feels like. And that sort of softens her. And she's like, okay, well, I guess I could stay. And then it doesn't help on top of that. The whole subplot um, is happening. There is a beautiful uh, redheaded woman in the village who is making eyes at Christian. And I think at this Putting her pubes in his food. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, I, I think he does say something about it, but it, nobody really makes it a big deal. But then after this point, things are starting to heighten up. And I think people start going missing so i'm trying to yeah there's like two other like outsiders who were brought with their friend that they met up with when they all did shrooms right and they're like they see the elder sacrifice and they're like we're done we're out get us out of here and so they're like okay well we'll take them to the train station yes fine so they leave so we so we think they leave and then will poulter pees on the tree yeah, Will Poulter. <laughs> what are you doing, man? Like you guys have bathrooms. What are you doing? So it's like it's a sacred tree, and he bros out and pees on this tree, which is like horrifying to the community members, and uh, they sort of lure him into the woods and murder him. Yep. And then at this point, I think they're starting to prepare for the May Queen. They while are. This is going on, so and Danny is kind of pulled into that. But she, before she's pulled into that, she doesn't, she witness, she witnesses the redhead, like, making eyes at Christian and Christian not, like, rebuffing the attention, essentially. Yeah. And also, I'm just going to keep calling him Cheaty. He also sneaks into the building to take pictures. Oh, yes. He goes into a sacred, a sacred building that he should not be in and takes pictures, which, you know, for them, that would be like cultural appropriation. Like you didn't get permission to go in there. You didn't get like you didn't ask about this. Like you're essentially a very American, like seeking information and not like getting yeah. context for it. Yeah. And this is like, you know, there there are some things that are closed practices. And if you are not a part of that community and you have not been educated in it by elders in that community, you are not supposed to do it. I'm looking at you, voodoo. <laughs> that's not that's not for us outside that community to nope. take part in. Nope. That's a closed practice. Um, sage, burning sage. That's <laughs> technically a closed practice. So stop doing that. You can burn other things. And uh, so he, he goes and he takes those pictures. He's taking pictures of murals and sacred text. He gets caught and gets murdered by the guy wearing Will Poulter's face. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. <laughs> The murders that happen to like you, like you see some of them, but you don't see all of them. It's with a hammer too, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I was gonna say it's pretty nasty. Um, so then at that point, Danny she does the maypole. She does the maypole, and she, and she wins. And nobody, I think, was really expecting it. And then Christian was watching her, mm-hmm. but and she's like, they all drink this. Uh, it, it's like kind of alcoholic, but it's like a flower like drink yeah it's um, for sure drugged and so she's drinking that or she's drunk on that she's been spinning around the maypole for a while and then she kind of is like so excited but then she goes to find christian and he's not there and then she goes into uh the building that Chidi should have not been in 
and she finds Christian banging the redhead. And it is like a really weird orgy. And so like I'm part of me is like, hey, like I'm kind of on board with this because it is technically in in the context of the story. They bring in outsiders. Right. To stop like essentially incest because a lot of the people in the community are, are they're related. Related. So they bring in these outsiders. So it is not essentially like a ooh, I'm in love with him thing. It is just a, a necessity thing. Right. I gotta and in that moment she's not alone. There's other women in there with her. Everyone's naked. Everybody is naked. They're all moaning like she's moaning <laughs> while they are having sex. So it's not so it's not sensual. I, I mean, it might have been sensual to start out with because she, the redhead essentially lures Christian in there, but it's not sensual in the practice. It is very ceremonial in practice, but it, it is horrifying to see because especially us Americans with our puritanical values are like, what the hell is going on? Well, I think it's also just sort of horrifying because at this point we're all identifying with Danny. She's our main character. Right. And so to see her have her heart broken because she sees her boyfriend who's already been terrible to her cheating on her. But then I love that scene. I mean, this is the keening scene, but I love that scene where she like has a panic attack and she's she's like screaming right. and all of the women are on the floor with her also yes, screaming yes. and there is this sort of like cathartic release amongst them and this Danny, you've been so alone because your family died, but like you have found sort of a community here. Like these women are taking your pain and sharing it. Right. Um Yes, that scene is so powerful. And if you've seen any, like, still images, like, usually those are the... I, I think they've made a meme of her face crying. I'm sure they have. Um, you know, that's what that scene's from. But it is really, really powerful. Um, and it's at that point where things kind of turn <laughs> for the worse. The pace for sure picks up at this point. Uh, because then she's going around. I think she's ready to leave at that point. And then I think when she goes to try to leave, she starts finding the bodies of her missing friends. <laughs> There's just a leg in a flower bed. There's a leg in a flower bed. She goes into what looks like, I think it's supposed to be like a chicken coop. And yeah. she finds uh, Will Poulter's character strung up. Um, and then, so she's like finding all these body parts and then they're like, they essentially, the village takes her and they at that point had drugged Christian, but then they take her and they dress her in flowers as the May queen. Um, and then (laughs) they put him in a bear suit and they essentially explain that with the sacrifices, everybody, like each person represented a different sacrifice, uh. The only one I can remember is I they, think Will Poulter's the fool, right? Uh, yeah, I know they 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 need nine total, and so the two friends, Cheedy and Will Poulter, the two other tourists, Connie and Simon, who were not taken to the train station, they were not. <laughs> then the two elders that takes them to six, mm-hmm. and then um, there's like two other people who voluntarily sacrifice themselves. So that's eight. And then she has to choose between Christian and just like another random person. And that's when they stuff him in the bear suit. They stuff him in the bear suit. And then they stick him in the giant yellow cabin. 
and they light everything in the cabin on fire and so it ends with her gloriously beautiful that's the other thing is that she's wearing this full weird pyramid dress of flowers and a crown which Florence Pugh has said many times was like the most heavy thing ever and they had to hide a stool under it for her so that between takes she could sit down and somebody had to come and hold a fan on her to like blow the air I can only imagine they're actually filming in summer it's probably terrible yeah and then it ends with her sort of watching the burning building as and she Florence Pugh has the best sad girl face like she it's, she does this like lip quiver thing that just i it like breaks me every time and uh and she's she's you know she's crying her eyes are puffy she's covered in flowers and she just gets this little bit of a smirk on yes. her face and it's just and at the end you as the viewer like good for her like good so you know she's now essentially i always took it as like she's essentially a part of that community now that's how i took it and too. i'm like maybe her and Pele get together i don't know you know <laughs> or maybe she stays single for a while but now she has like a family right so um both both good choices for like very summer like high peak of this is the beginning of summer films a lot of the other films I was looking at take place in July, which I think is hysterical for uh, for summer movies. Like, and not just like Fourth of July movies, which we're looking at you, Jaws. Like, how can you how can you not watch how can you not watch any movie? Like, even AMC, if you're like watching TV, they'll have like a random like movie marathon. Watch Jaws all weekend. I'm like, oh, yeah. yes, it's not Fourth of July without Jaws. There's also and I can go into it later, but there is also the series on Hulu into the dark, which is all holiday themed horror movies for each episode. And they have an independence day episode that is, it's called culture shock. So that is also a independence day horror movie. Um, another one I want to talk about, which I also watch around independence day because it takes place on, uh, July 3rd is Return of the Living Dead. Uh, I am a zombie enthusiast. I love zombie movies. I've seen quite a few zombie movies, but this one is up there as one of my top favorites. Like, I love George Romero. I love all of his zombie films, um, but this one is not a George Romero. Uh, it's Dan O'Bannon and... Dan O'Bannon and somebody else. I can't remember it. Anyways, so George Romero and the guy he wrote Night of the Living Dead with uh, had a falling out. And it essentially, because Night of the Living Dead is under public domain, so you could watch that on YouTube or wherever you want, really, because it's, doesn't, it's in public domain. He, after that, as you notice, it's Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, um... nobody has living dead so he wasn't able to keep the rights to the title of living dead but interesting um his co-writer was so essentially he took that title and then he came up with this idea but then they rewrote it because it was like more serious and this movie is extremely campy it's set in kentucky and it is uh also has a really banging soundtrack like so good it's so it's such a good like 
good title and then it has a lot of good 80s music and it's about a group of like punk teens because the one friend freddie um he gets a job at a medical warehouse uh supply warehouse and his punk friends are like waiting for him to get out of his job at like 10 o'clock at night and so they're partying at a cemetery nearby and everything is like very tongue-in-cheek and it's very very funny the guy he's working with takes him around and he essentially shows him like down in the basement they have like these canisters and he essentially like this is where it gets really i think it's funny but really tongue-in-cheek of like yeah you remember that movie night of the living dead oh that was true classic government mix-up I love when horror movies do like a weird meta thing. I know some people hate that. I think it's hysterical. If it's done well, I love it. If it's like I'm just referencing stuff to reference stuff, I'm like, okay, we're done here. Um, Scream, especially the newer Scream films, toe the line uh, of like where I'm like, okay, we're getting there. Um, But anyways, they dumbly bang on the container (laughs) and release this gas which reanimates all of the dead (laughs) and so it's them essentially dealing with this like zombie apocalypse and this is the first this is the first zombie film where um you know they actually mentioned brains before that in other zombie films they didn't talk about them specifically eating brains so this is the first movie that you say brains so thank you, you return did you just dead. see like when you looked at me did you see the shooting star rainbow like do 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 because i hadn't i didn't know that yeah you taught me something new today bath well that's that's what we're here for <laughs> so anyways uh it's just a really great movie i love it it as i said jaws and return of the living dead are my fourth of july viewing I won't since you haven't seen it and I would like you to see it eventually. I would li- I'm not going to spoil the ending for it, but the punk rockers are good in it. Uh, Linnea Quigley, who is a um, 80s scream queen. She's very sexy. Uh, she does dance naked in the cemetery at one point. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's my kind of party. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's... It, like man it's so that part's so funny and then right afterward like before that she's like with this head like rocker and he's like everyone thinks this is just a look but punk's like a way of life man and then she's like gyrating on him and he's like get away from me i'm like oh my god that's that's incredible um so yeah worth the watch if you're looking for like a slightly campy but just fun zombie movie i um so my my july 4th movie is I know what you did last summer. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. I have so much nostalgia tied in with like this and Scream were like really in my formative years. Right. Like Scream Scream came first. Right. And then this was in nineteen ninety seven. So they were like a year apart. Yeah. Good good time for nineties slasher. And movies. I I actually I I think I bought the paperback of the book. Okay. At like a a book sale at school That's first hysterical that they made a they sold it at an elementary well, school i think it was i think the book the book was like first and then they made a movie out of it that's even funnier if i'm if i maybe i'm wrong maybe i need to like fact check myself on this but i i do think i got it from like a scholastic book sale 
along with like a scratch and sniff like bookmark or something that probably had a kitten and like a top hat on it or something like that but yeah I I oh man there's something about anytime I have to wear like a spaghetti strap tank top yep. at some point in that day I am going to pull a Jennifer Love Hewitt and just scream what are you waiting <laughs> for which is also one of my favorite things that scary movie uh like parodied was that and then sarah michelle geller's um sh- it's it's not supposed to be a fake monologue it's her really telling her boyfriend like get away from that keller and everyone's like oh my god bravo yeah bravo, what a great is uh, it monologue this might be the most controversial thing in this entire episode but how do you pronounce his name oh philippi so that is that is what I hear most people saying, and I'm not sure if it is correct. Felipe? Ryan Philippi. But I, from like my childhood when this movie came out, always called him Ryan Philippi. Oh. <laughs> oh. And I don't know what the correct pronunciation is. I swear I've heard like on like, you know, back when you watched TV and entertainment, like weekly and entertainment tonight was on. I swear that's like where I heard Felipe at but we both know like this will be a running joke in the series is that I read everything and don't know how to pronounce things so <laughs> it's true and take, I take things as I say with a grain of salt and I was a theater major in college my first time around and had to take like a full year where they made me memorize the international phonetic alphabet so I often will correct that but on this one I don't know because I don't see a phonetic spelling of his last name so I can't even correct myself so, dear viewers, if you in the comments tell us that it's pronounced a completely different way than the two ways we just said, thank you. We'll take that and we'll keep that in mind. Yeah. But this, I, you know, I know what you did last summer, just the basics of it, because they did just recently make a television series or a limited series on, I think, Amazon. Oh, okay. But I don't know if it's following the same plot. I had no interest in watching it. I got burned by the Scream series and it was so bad that I'll never fall for that again i wanted to watch that so i'm glad you said Don't. something but it uh it essentially on july 4th there's a group of friends they're like high school students and they are driving to the beach they're drunk and they hit someone on the road and rather than get in trouble for like drunk driving <laughs> and drinking underage <laughs> They dump this poor man's body into the water and then swear they're never going to talk about it again. And then a year later, you know, this is like their their freshman year of college. Jennifer Love Hewitt, her character's name is Julie. She comes home and it is like around the anniversary of this accident. Right. Everybody has kind of gone their separate ways. Nobody is really friends anymore, even though some of them still live in town. And she gets a letter that says, I know what you did last summer. So she starts hunting down her friends, which is Sarah Michelle Geller and Freddie Prince Jr. and Ryan, last name redacted. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they're trying to figure out what's going on. So they're they're like, well, maybe it was, you know, the one guy, which I think is Johnny Galecki. Isn't oh, he the one yeah, friend yeah. that sees them on the road? I think so. Yeah, that's Their one right. friend saw them the night of the accident, and so they're like, well, maybe it's him just messing with us. Maybe it's like, you know, 
maybe it's like the, the guy, like maybe he wasn't dead right. and he's like coming after us. We don't know what's going on. And then slowly one by one, they all keep getting these like mysterious messages. They um, are getting picked off one by one. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, there is like a terrifying scene with it's Bridget Wilson who plays Sarah Michelle Gellar's older sister mm-hmm. and she's in that store at night that she works in. It's like all the mannequins. Oh yeah. 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 And they're all covered. Like she goes in the room. There's like some of them are covered in yeah. sheets. And so she doesn't know if it's a mannequin or if it's the killer. Right. The killer's also walking around in a raincoat with like a hook, hook hand, yeah. like a meat hook for, um, the, not a meat hook, the ice hook for uh, fishing. Yes. And so then they think it's like this other guy who works on a fishing boat and then doesn't Freddie Prince Jr. also work on the fishing boat? I think so. Yes. At one point he was the red herring. Yeah. So it, there's like some really great scenes with that. And then also the scene that always gets me is they go they go to find the sister of the guy who died, which is, um, oh, what's her name? You know who I'm talking about. I do she, know who you're Anne talking Hash. about. Okay. Anne Anne Hash. I was like, she dated Ellen. Ellen oh. DeGeneres. Whole other hot mess that yes. relationship it's uh it's Anne hash 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 mm, i don't know it's okay. her and uh, they go to her house and it's like everything in that scene feels so sweaty she lives on like a farm they're like poking around in her house mm-hmm. she chases them down the road afterwards because she she like knows who they are she knows mm-hmm. something's going on so you think it's her like there's just a lot of twisty turnies in this and so very good summer movie feels like a summer movie it feels very sweaty even the scenes when they're like crawling around in fish guts and ice yeah i the sequel to that will always terrify me and it's part of the reason why i've never been in a tanning bed i was just gonna say it's the tanning bed is the worst death in the second one yeah like my little mind because i was a was a child when these came out my little mind was like blown that like one i was like I'm really pale anyways, but then too, to be like, you can die like that. Yeah. A girl gets cooked alive inside of a tanning bed. That's yeah. The sequel, which is so cleverly titled. I still know what you did last summer (laughs) and takes place while the survivors are um, at college and has Brandy in it. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember Brandy's in it and I remember the, uh, in the it, tanning bed scene. Yeah, and it's it's like a tropical island setting and also feels very summery. And speaking of since we just talked about a farmhouse, uh I feel like I feel like first of all, we need to casually mention the burning. Um so I haven't seen this one yet, but so it is as of August of twenty twenty three available online. Um so streaming the burning is well first of all it was one of harvey weinstein's first movies that he produced yikes yeah um you know if we're trying to separate art from the artist and stuff i mean he technically just financially backed the film but it stars jason alexander (laughs) he's a he's like one of the people in it i won't say he's a but he's like very much prominent in it george costanza yes and he's a baby but he's still like a full-grown man <laughs> but he's Listen, playing a teenager jason alexander is like a good looking dude he is, a he is dude. viewed as like a buffoon because of george costanza but even in like pretty woman good looking guy also 
his son gabe good looking guy <laughs> um so anyways this is this came about with the idea that it's it's a slasher film and it's a, like an underrated slasher film um but it came from a legend from a camp um about essentially about this uh guy that got burned alive that worked as like a camp like custodian and now he's like like essentially their boogeyman he's gonna get you so that's like the premise of the movie they just elaborated on it and it is about a guy that got burned hence the burning is it cropsy cropsy yes um and it is about these group of campers who are essentially terrified uh by cropsy who's like staking them out and killing them one by one it's it's a good film it's a good slasher film where i was just i i always give myself low expectations for slasher films because i know i'm like here's the formula are we going to exceed the formula are we not going to even meet the standards for the formula what are we getting it's good uh jason alexander is young in it i think this was one of his first movie roles he wears like a cool football jersey the entire time we're like all right he seems capable let's uh let let's follow him there is like a (laughs) terrifying scene they have to the campers essentially have to leave one campsite and they don't want to go through the woods because cropsy could get them so they make rafts and canoe their way down a river which is pretty terrifying because like Cropsy's like on the edges so they're like if we even stop to rest we like can't because he could get us so would highly recommend that movie as like a good slasher film if you're like I want to see something different um but also we can't talk summer films without talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre OG like slasher film also a very sweaty movie yes yes and and no matter which of the iterations you're watching I and I I know that I have seen the original because I really love that it's been turned into a okay maybe not the most controversial thing Ryan Philippe Philippe I pronounce it Jif like choosy moms choose Jif I know some of you like gif but you're wrong so I also call it uh gif so we are on the same page with that so uh i love the gif of leatherface at the end with with the the chainsaw chainsaw where he's like dancing essentially quite essentially that is it is like brutal but beautiful at the same time like that scene is like it's it's awesome and like the truest sense of the word where you're like in awe but you're also it's like part of the subliminal experience of like you're sub you're horrified because it is this man in this like human made mask like human flesh wielding a chainsaw which Gunnar Hansen has come out and said like he almost hit himself with the chainsaw so like I'm glad he didn't a lot of them that was like a dangerous set to work on because they worked very long days and it was sweaty and they were like trying to be under budget so I can't imagine um but you know and I feel like Toby Hooper gets a lot of like I feel like he gets a lot of kind of not enough credit where credit's due but um, you know, this is one of the first slasher movies like that and Black Christmas are um, considered kind of the uh, predecessors to things like Halloween, to things like, you know, Friday the 13th, etc. Which, you know, Friday the 13th also 
I almost feel like I can mention that, but I don't want to dive into that because everybody knows about Friday the 13th. But yes, that is also a summer horror movie. Um, with a baby Kevin Bacon in it. Yes. Um, <laughs> what a but, good death. But yeah, so you mentioned Toby Hooper, who I'm sure we'll talk about in other episodes, especially when we talk about Stephen King, who is, for both of us, one of our favorite authors. Yep. Um, yep. Because Toby Hooper has done a lot of... Stephen King adjacent film work mm-hmm. um, but also to backtrack a bit I I know that I have seen it because I know I recognize that Jeff moment but I am more familiar with the remake which also like has like I remember the remake but the last time I saw it was when I was younger like at least a decade ago and I always remember that remake one because it has all the young stars in it but two because the opening scene of that film they pick up this like girl who's essentially the final girl of that movie and then she pulls a gun from between her legs that is i was just gonna say <gasps> it's so disturbing uh, god when did the remake come out i'm gonna was it, I think 2003 it. it was 2003 i, I know think, i wasn't in I high school or i was fresh out of high school 2003 you're right so that was my like my junior into senior year of high school and i just remember not totally knowing what I was getting into I think I saw it because of Mike Vogel and Jessica Biel yep yep and then my best friend wanted to see it because she loves Jonathan Tucker who's also he's the brother okay okay who in the original is his name Franklin is that the one that sounds right he falls out of a wheelchair yeah it's like it should not be as comical as it is yeah his name is his name is Morgan in the remake um but yeah, it's so traumatizing <laughs> watching it because it's this poor girl who's like some kind of way they pick her up and then she pulls a gun out of her hoo-ha. Yep. <laughs> yep. Out of her cash and prizes. That's absolutely correct. <laughs> really messed me up as a kid. Clam burger. I don't know. I'm this is getting like bad. I have a lot of euphemisms for it. Um but that's also like those remakes too. Out of all of the slasher films, I w- I would say Texas Chainsaw Massacre probably has taken the most liberties with continuity. I see that with a grain of salt because the Halloween movies have now also jumped a lot in continuity. But I guess with the new ones, you're not supposed to acknowledge Halloween 2. Is it like a different... Is it like... um, It's like a parallel... Is it like the... parallel timeline. Yeah, like the Marvel now and there's different timelines or like Star Trek... Yes. The new Star Trek movies are like a different timeline now than the other t- Star Trek, but they're all canon. Yeah, I I guess. It's like a know, different universe. It bothers me because I really like Halloween 2 and I also like Halloween 3, but that's a different different story for a different day. Anyways, yeah, they have taken a lot of liberties with Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre, but the OG one from 1974... Uh, so many filmmakers have said that was like quintessential to them filmmaking like Rob Zombie that's like one of his favorite films which if you've ever seen any type of Rob Zombie film you're like oh yeah I yeah I see it I haven't but I can tell you that the reason I haven't seen any of them that makes sense (laughs) like I they just I don't know they're a little too sticky for me yes I have said I said even the good guys in Rob Zombie films, I feel like all need to take a bath. Everyone needs to take a bath. Like, it's just a good old, let's get some head and shoulders in there. Let's get some Dawn dish soap maybe because we're gritty. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I always described um, 
Like the look of a Rob Zombie movie reminds me of when I was in high school and you'd be walking in the hallway and you would get like a whiff of something that was maybe like banana peppery and it was like, oh, like somebody ate a Subway sandwich, but then it was just like a dirty boy who hadn't discovered deodorant yet. Yes. And so I always call that Subway B.O. Yes. And that's like every one of those movies and even a little bit Texas Chainsaw, like looks like everyone smells like Subway B.O. Uh, you're not wrong. I but I feel like Texas Chainsaw might smell a little bit worse only because there's cannibalism involved and yeah, and like farm creatures yeah. probably and just I rotting meat. I just feel like that's probably a, a smell. So just death, death on top of Subway Bo, which unfortunately we are also very well acquainted with the scent of death recently. Yes, <laughs> Beth uh, and I have seen some unfortunate rodent situations. Yes. I actually, I wouldn't like. I really have seen them because I have been the discoverer of death, and I have not seen them. I just smelled it and knew what it was, and made her go check it because I don't even eat animals. I can't look at them on the side of the road when they're dead. I didn't want to have to look at a poor little five mousekowitz. I didn't either, but I also have a super sniffer, so I knew. I was like, "Yeah, what am I smelling? Oh, yeah, you're definitely right." And then, yeah, uh, to have to tell other people and then like sniff it out as a whole other it's like the bad version of legless what do your elf i see <laughs> Beth, <laughs> what does your death nose smell oh it stinks it stinks so bad <laughs> um a gross sweet subway bo stink uh, so um another movie i want to mention is uh, Maximum Overdrive, which takes place during July. I did not realize that was a summer movie. <laughs> um, this is Stephen King's only directorial debut. It's his directorial debut. It's also the only movie he has directed because it did not do well. And boy, can you tell he was on a lot of cocaine when he made it. <laughs> yep, he has said as much. Um, so for those of you who don't know what that movie's about... Um, essentially a comet passes over earth and it makes all of technology so anything that has like a motor or anything like that come to life so you have ATM machines uh, spitting out stuff at people you have one man uh, dies via soda cans because they're pelting out at him in a baseball field poor kid too like a little leaguer like sees it happening and runs and it's like cans are flying at him as he's fleeing the murder of his coach um so then emilio estevez stars in it um this is based off of one of stephen king's short stories in night shift um but Emilio Estevez plays a ex-convict who works at a cook at this diner. Who It's kind of like in the middle of nowhere. And these trucks, uh, who are not manned by anybody, they have a mind of their own, essentially are surrounding this diner um, with people trapped inside. And so they're trying to... And the head truck is a truck with the Green Goblin on it, yeah. which is visually interesting. Yeah, I mean... it. It certainly looks like it would be a villain in something, but like a very Scooby-Doo villain. Yes, yes. So it's essentially about this band of survivors trying to outmaneuver these semi-trucks to get away from them. You know who I can't stand in this movie? Who's that? So there's like this young couple, like I think they just got married, and one of them, it's Yeardley Smith, who is Lisa Simpson. Okay, yeah, yeah. And her husband... 
I hate him. Like from the beginning, when she's like, I gotta pee. And he's like, Can I watch? And I was like, Oh God, I hope you die first. <laughs> uh, I hate him. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, I, so here's the thing I did not realize it was, I guess I've, again, my standard for movies must be pretty low for horror. Like, I'm always like, did I have a good time watching it? Because if I had a good time, even if it's a really terrible movie and like it's considered a B or a C movie, I don't care. I'll watch it. Yeah. Listen, I'm wearing, I wore it today on purpose. I'm wearing my final girls club shirt from super yaki, which their motto is like, it's okay to like bad movies. And Beth and I are, we love them. Super yaki. If you find us, we love all your stuff. We love all your collabs. We keep giving you money. We do. Thank you for existing. We appreciate it. And so I agree. That's, I mean, there is a place for movies where you don't, not everything needs to be analyzed. Sometimes it is fun to just have like a mindless two hours. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I enjoyed Maximum Overdrive. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is a mess, but it is fun. Also, Amelia Estevez, cutie patootie in that movie. I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason he was part of the Brat Pack. He's, Mm -hmm. He's a babe. So, yes, I didn't know if you knew that movie, but I was like, I think she's going to... I knew you watched it, but I was like, I think she's going to enjoy this. I, like, completely forgot about that when I was trying to compile my list. Um, Since we're still talking about, like, sweaty movies, I'm going to bring up Straw Dogs. Have you seen Straw Dogs? I haven't because I know that Alexander Skarsgård's in it, and that's my boy. Um, You would not like him And I think he plays a racist pos in it so i'm like i i don't so this is actually he's always a villain but yeah, i don't want that he's got a good villain face so straw dogs that is actually the remake with james marston um the original straw dogs is actually uh, dustin hoffman plays the lead in <laughs> oh it God. he's very young and it was um it was an australian movie and so it takes place in australia it is essentially the same plot they have just sort of adapted things sideways to like what is the equivalent of that in america so the remake takes place in i believe it's alabama rather than like sort of the boonies of australia and the plot is that um he's he's essentially like a academic in both movies and the dustin hoffman one i think he is like a science researcher Mm -hmm. who got like uh, he essentially is given time to go and like study things out in the middle of nowhere in Australia and he's got this like beautiful wife and she's from the small town that they go live in. Right. In the remake James Marsden is a Hollywood movie writer and his wife is an actress. Okay. And they go back to her small town that I she's do from. Like James Marsden too. He's also a cutie patootie. Well, let me tell you. Oh no. <laughs> he's great. He's an excellent actor. He also is a fantastic singer and they should let him sing in more things. But my main issue with this movie, with both movies, is that it makes me hate every single man involved in the story. They are all useless. Every single one of them is useless and for different reasons. And so because I've watched the remake more recently, I'm going to kind of switch over to talk about that. But it, it is essentially the same story in both, including like the deaths at the end. And the main idea is that um, James Marsden is trying to work on a movie. They move back to this little middle of nowhere town where his wife grew up and um, are going to live in her late father's house. And okay. it's a farm and it needs some work done on the roof. And they've already hired local men to work on it. 
so they're just like okay whatever like we're just gonna move in there that's already taken care of once the roof's done like we're cool and it is like a kind of remote farm outside of town and there's a long road that leads up to it and sort of dead ends in the house and they're like zipping around in this little like sport very hollywood sports car like it's a convertible it's streamlined it's like one of those ones where the the trunk is in the front rather than oh, the back oh fancy and so everyone keeps calling him like mr hollywood and everything and they go to the the local bar which is where everyone goes because it's like the only restaurant type place in town mm-hmm. and immediately you are introduced to like the the glory days football players like this is the town where it's like you know the football team is everything they're the closest to like local gods okay. and then that's where the title comes from it is straw dogs so essentially in some asian cultures there's a history of making these dogs out of straw to like sort of worship in ceremonies and then when you are done with that ceremony you just sort of cast them aside okay so they've served their purpose and now they're useless okay and that is the equivalent of these men of these These, like very rough men who like at one point were revered and now are just like well we do construction right that's that's it that's my life and the local like their coach is it's James Woods, who is just a garbage bag human being. Oh. So I don't feel bad hating him in this. He is the equivalent of when you are in Philadelphia. Like I remember we would hate walking on garbage day. Cause there was always just like a weird water that would leak out of the garbage trucks. And it was just like garbage water <laughs> and it had a stink. And that is the James Woods is the human equivalent of that. And so he is like a racist. He is violent. He's an alcoholic he is immediately very combative against the bartender who is also the local sheriff and is like one of the only people of color in the entire town and small town movies where they have like eight million jobs yeah and he's got a he's got a a teenage daughter who is in love with a local man he's an adult but he has like a developmental disability and he's he was on Prison Break. Do you remember that show? Uh, I remember of that show. He was one know. of the brothers on Prison okay. Break. And so and this so that's slightly problematic because I do know that he, as an actor, as a person, is not it's not an our own stories kind of thing. Like he does oh, not have okay. a developmental disability, but he's playing someone who has one. Gotcha. Um, it's not it's not a caricature essentially, so that's good, I guess, but. But there, that is slightly problematic. So there's a teenage girl who's in love with this man who has gotten in trouble in the past because he just, he just simply doesn't understand certain situations and that he is acting inappropriately. Mm-hmm. And he has, a, he has a brother who takes care of him, who's also an adult. And the, the coach hates him because he wants him to stay away from his daughter. And he threatens him, like, multiple times and threatens to shoot him and to murder him. Oh and this is sort of... James Marsden's introduction to the town that his wife grew up in. Wow, great. Oh, and on top of that is also Alexander Skarsgård, who was Eric on True Blood. He was on the final season of Succession. He was in uh, Big Little Lies as also a bad guy. He was in The Northman. The North, mm, <laughs> in The Northman. And he played Tarzan. Yeah. He's he's a giant man with a Beautiful a very good man. bad guy face. Yes. And so he, in high school, dated 
James Marsden's wife in the movie. So that's her ex-boyfriend. He's a straw dog. He's in this town. He's always going to back up coach because that's what he knows. So they have these issues with him. Um, He is one of the men who is there to work on their house and is immediately inappropriate with the wife. Um, There's like scenes of her running and they're just like driving really slowly behind her to watch her and like watch her butt. And then, you know, she's annoyed that her husband isn't doing anything to stop them from being gross. And this is where this is where I started immediately to just like see red and then hear the Ironside song. Like the Kill Bill, like, (laughs) sirens. She's like, well, couldn't you say something about it? And he's like, well, maybe you should wear a bra. And she's like, are you saying I'm asking for this? And he just sort of laughs it off. So what? Red flag number one. Yeah. And as it goes on, they they find a cat. They they name it Flutie because it was like in the fire. (laughs) It was in like the fireplace when they opened the flute. And so they have this cat. And um, they go away to, like, a church thing, and he's, James Marsden is, like, very dismissive of, like, the small town. Like, everybody goes to the same church. Everybody's religious. He's not. And he's just, like, religion, that's, like, not my thing. Like, God and religion, which offends Alexander Skarsgård's character, who already doesn't like him, because to him, he's not a real man. He, like, dresses in frou-frou outfits. Like, he's got tight-fitting trousers and, like, nice button-downs, and he's got his little sunglasses, and he drives this fancy car. And now he's walking out of church, and he's not respecting their community. And so they're they're kind of getting into it. And then they go home, and this is another thing I hate in movies is animal death. Um, somebody has killed and hung their cat in their house Jesus. while they were gone. God. And so they're she's like, it has to be them. Like, you need to say something to them. It has to be them. And he's like, well, I can't just accuse them. Like, that's I can't just outright say, like, you killed my cat and fire them. And she's like, well, why not? And he's like, because you just you don't do that. Like, I'll just kind of I'll bring it up and I'll see how they react. Oh so, God. like I said, useless. And growing tensions are happening with the, the like the rest of the people in town. Uh, there's like a football game coming up. They're all kind of gathered for like practice outside and like a, you know, like a function, like a community function. And the man with the developmental disability mm-hmm. is seen talking to the teenage girl and her father attacks him. And oh, no. the wife gets involved because she sees no one else is going to stop him. And he's I mean, he's on top of him beating him in the head. Jesus. And this man is like yelling, get off me, get off me. And James Wood is just like beating his head in. And so she intervenes and tells him to leave him alone and that he was just talking. He wasn't doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And James Marsden makes them leave. Oh, and, and they get in the car. And he's like, I'm not very happy with you. <sighs> Like, why do you have to keep putting yourself in these situations? I'm never going to jump into the fray. That's not who I am. I don't do that. Buddy. So, again, Aww. strike number two. <laughs> you're not standing up for your wife. You're yelling at her. So, he decides, you know, I got to go. I got to go, like, fire these guys. Like, we got to get rid of them. This is, like, too much. And then they sense this, and they invite him to go hunting with them. Oh. And while he goes hunting with them, she is home alone. She's going for her run. She takes a shower. Mm -hmm. Someone knocks on the door. It's Alexander Skarsgård. Oh, I feel like I know where this is going. And here is where the very disturbing scenes begin. Um, 
there there are multiple rape scenes in this movie so if that is a no-go for you please don't watch this you're not gonna it's it's bad the racism was like one of the reasons i i was like i know that there's a bunch of racist characters in this so i was like all right so i didn't even have to get yeah that far so um essentially he has interpreted her interactions with him as her wanting to rekindle their romance and he I'm, I'm not even gonna like gild the lily here he rapes her but he does not realize that it is rape until after he has already done it Jesus when Christ. he fully realizes that it's not just her saying no but meaning yes it is she really and truly did not want this and while he is sort of shell-shocked in the moment his friend pulls her over the back of the couch and also rapes her and he just sits in a chair and lets it happen and she's screaming for him to help her and he doesn't do anything so that's awful and then she does not tell her husband about this. She what? sees them in public at a football game later and like has a PTSD sort of reaction to it. She's, you know, she's like she wants to get out. So they leave and during the same football game, the teenage girl gets the older man to come away with her mm-hmm. and talk and she's trying to seduce him essentially and he he knows that he's not supposed to talk to her uh-huh. but he also in the past like even when nothing was happening was saying but she's my girlfriend Aww. but she's my girlfriend and everyone's saying like don't say that she's not your girlfriend that's not okay you don't talk to her well the two of them are alone she's trying to seduce him he hears people coming and panics and it is essentially a Lenny of Mice and Men moment oh where he no. covers her mouth to keep her from screaming and, and accidentally kills her. Oh God. And then he knows that he's done something awful and he panics and he runs. And while James Marsden and his wife are leaving the football game, they hit him with their car. Oh my God. <laughs> and so they take him back to their house because it, the hospital's very far away and he's like we're gonna take him back to the house we're gonna call an ambulance like he's my responsibility i need to take care of this man mm-hmm. and while they're in the house the coach and all of the straw dogs realize that the daughter's missing can't find her uh-huh. and come hunting this man down because he just assumes that he is to blame which is true in this case but right that's his first thought is it's that guy so he comes hunting him down. They show up at the house. They refuse to let them in. They won't send this man out. And even when the sheriff shows up, James Marsden still refuses to send him out. He says, no, like, you're, you're in it with them. Like, you're just going to hand him over. I'm not sending him out. You bring the state police here, and I will turn him over to them. And while this is happening, he is looking through the peephole and sees James Woods grab a shotgun <gasps> behind the sheriff and tries to warn him but it's too late and the sheriff gets shot in the back holy crap and then from here it very quickly becomes a home invasion home defense situation mm-hmm. with the wife and a m- developmentally disabled man with a broken arm who is full-on panicking now upstairs james marsden downstairs and trying to keep them out of his house so like this is incredibly graphic and violent like the one man he like he's like stabbing his hand and like pinning him to a wall and he gets like decapitated by a window he pours like boiling oil on somebody else another man the one the second man who actually raped his wife climbs the side of the building and comes in through an upstairs window and attempts to rape her again (laughs) and this ends in a standoff with alexander skarsgård pulling a gun on his buddy the buddy pulling a gun on him 
Holy she moly. also has a shotgun and like it's a whole like it's a weird situation up there but the most violent and insane death out of the whole thing is there is like a decorative man trap or like we would probably call it like a bear trap okay one of those ones where it's like sensor loaded and it has the jaws that snap closed uh-huh. and the teeth like meet in the bone so they have one of those and it's just been in the house and alexander skarsgård is coming down the stairs trying to get her to just come with him and he's like i'll take care of you i'll always take care of you baby why are you so scared of me like we'll be fine just let me let me take care of you and james marsden slams it down on top of his head oh my god and essentially decapitates him holy crap this movie is wild it is insane and it's the same deaths in the dustin hoffman one and it literally ends with the same line of him saying i got all of them (laughs) which again like you've been useless this whole movie your wife is traumatized this poor man you hit him with your car and all you can think of is like yay me i murdered all of these guys good job (laughs) god yeah um whoo well Let's see if I have any lighter movies. To so I have a lighter one, actually. It's it's a horror comedy, which you know I love horror comedies. I, I love those, too. And it's it's actually newer. It's The Blackening. Okay. Yeah, I, I that's on my list to see. I have not seen it I'm yet. I'm not going to spoil any of the, the stuff then. Um, it's I really enjoyed it, and I think that... I hope that we see more movies like this because... <clears throat> and I love, I love Monkey Paw... Oh, excuse me. <coughs> Monkey Pop Productions is doing this a lot, Jordan Peele. It got me. <laughs> it got me. So, um, we are seeing more of these uh like horror and horror comedy movies that have like all black casts or people of color. Right. And they're not just, you know They're not just victims. And it's not just tropes either. Yes. And so the blackening is kind of along those same lines. So I, I'm glad that we're seeing more of these. And it is actually, actually like probably the only movie I can think of that the whole premise is that these friends are gathered together to celebrate Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any other movies that are set on Juneteenth. So Yeah, so that's, I love that. And it's like, it's, you know, it does get a little bit tropey because it is a comedy. So they are kind of pointing out horror expectations. So it's like, Oh, it's the group of college friends who are reuniting for right, like a weekend right. after years. And some of them have drifted apart. Some of them have like histories together. Um, but they they gather at this cabin. It's essentially like an Airbnb type thing they rented. Um, Diedrich Bader is in it okay. from <laughs> the Drew Carey show. Yeah. I used to call him Hollywood Cicada because he would just disappear and then come back like every 17 years and like everyone is like fascinated by him. He plays Jethro in the Beverly Hillbillies. Yes. Yeah. Love Diedrich Bader. Love him. He's also like, isn't he Batman's voice in something? I think you're correct. I he does a lot yeah. of like voice work in animation. So he's in it as like a park ranger whose name is Officer White or Ranger White, which I think is hysterical. That is really funny. Um, there's some hysterical jokes in it, and I'm not gonna like ruin anything. But there's in the beginning when they're in the car, like three of the characters are driving up. It's two of the girls, and then um, one of the guys, and they're in the car, and he's like, "Well, who all gonna be there? Because you said eight people are gonna be there, and I know seven, so it better not be Namdi because he's got beef with their friend Namdi." 
and the two girls look at each other and they have like a whole discussion with just their <laughs> facial expressions <laughs> but there's voiceover over it mm-hmm. which i love because women 100 percent do that femme identifying people 100 yes. percent do that yes so they have that whole conversation um in the cold opening the, it's like it starts with like very horror tropey things where it's like a girl by herself and then like a door creaks open and then like her boyfriend startles her and that that feels like a very like horror norm type thing right and when the door is creaking open she's trying to see who's there she's like she's like who's there who's there who's there nope that's 2dmx <laughs> hold on and like backs it up <laughs> um they also there's a there's a game a board game involved like this group of friends gets together and has they play board games whenever they reunite and so they find this board game this very racist board game it's got a very like blackface caricature logo on it oh great and the game is called the blackening which is where the title comes from okay um and there are some trivia questions involved in it and one of the trivia questions involves the recasting of Aunt Viv on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, <laughs> which is just, I, oh, it's so great. If you were a fan of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air at any point in your life, like you, you know, the whole drama about mm-hmm. original Aunt Viv and recast Aunt Viv, mm-hmm. or as they phrase it in the movie, dark-skinned Aunt Viv and light-skinned Aunt Viv. So there's, there's that. Um, there's a horror there's a trivia question that involves friends and they all are like, well, I never watched friends, but I know that this happened in an episode and, oh, well, I, n- I never watched friends, but I do know that this happened. And well, I never watched friends ever in my life, but I heard that this happened. So like they're all, they've, they've all clearly seen friends, which is really funny. Um, there's an O'Reilly's auto parts joke. Oh my God. Uh, there's a great moment where the one girl's like, I, this feels like the end of Set It Off. I'm so sad. And then they just straight quote the movie. There's like a, a very good twist also with Allison, one of the characters, who she um, they give her Adderall and sh- they don't tell her what she takes. And then she has like a beautiful mind moment where like everything is like she can like smell colors and she can taste numbers and she all of a sudden has like insane like black panther skills in a fight (laughs) so it is it like pop culture reference wise comedy wise pacing wise twist wise i this movie was so good so i hope we get more like that yeah uh so since we're on that note um you know, we should mention Us by Jordan Peele. I, so here's the thing. I think it's set during summer. It's definitely set in California. And it's also set... It was... Jordan Peele, love him as a director, clearly knows his stuff with horror movies. And I love when newer horror directors, like, pay homage to, like, other horror movies. Um, so, like, Us and The Lost Boys are clearly set... Um, you know in Santa Barbara like with the beautiful boardwalk and the amusement park and stuff like the, both of those are like quintessential to the plot of the film Us is so good it's so I think that's my favorite Jordan Peele fil- film uh, I think Nope is my Nope's favorite really good too. but I do really enjoy Us as well I um, like I never <laughs> in my life would have thought that I would be afraid of that song 
Oh. I got five on it. Like yeah. it, the opening of that song now is terrifying yeah. because of that movie. Do, do, do. Thank you also like TikTok for like just really pulverizing <laughs> that song and using it to yeah. creepy extent. But that movie's really good. If you haven't seen it, would definitely recommend it. It has have major summer vibes. I love Winston Duke in that movie Winston too. Winston Duke is oh, he's so dreamy in it too. I'm like, and I feel I feel like prior to that, most people only knew him. Well, I'm not gonna say most people. I think probably most white people only right. knew him is from as Mbaku from from Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. And then he's just like such a great like nerdy like hot nerdy dad. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lupita's so good in that movie. Um, and even like all the white characters are in that are also good um i think elizabeth moss is in there she is yeah in it. and she she's oh. like such a like there's like so many things i hate about her character because it's too real but she plays it so well tim heidecker plays her husband yeah from tim and eric which yeah. is so silly i love that they don't really do that as much anymore but i'm like that is his background is like that weird uh show weird and weirdly funny show and then he plays he like will randomly be in movies like bridesmaids <laughs> like this movie and i'm like i mean good for you man for the range <laughs> yeah yeah um but if you haven't seen the movie of us uh essentially lupita's character uh at the beginning of the film is she's a little girl she gets lost on the boardwalk um, she comes back from this traumatizing event and then it jumps to her being an adult and her and Winston Duke have two kids and they're going on vacation on their like summer home and it's very close to Santa Barbara um, and the boardwalk and they are essentially terrorized by these like alternate versions of themselves. I... I hate, like, I, I have a, an issue with body horror. That's just me. Um, I hate animal death. And I the thing that scares me the most, and I probably shouldn't put this out in public because now people are going to use it against me, but I hate, it's the reason I hate the movie The Strangers. I hate when you, like, look out a window and there's just someone standing, standing there, there staring. Yeah. And it, I, it's got to be, like, psychologically some kind of, like, control issue because there's nothing you can do to make them go away but they're still somehow right. like invading your space without invading your space right. and that scene where they're like at the top of the driveway yeah. and he goes out with like the baseball bat yeah, is and they so scary they like don't do anything they're just standing there but it is it is utterly terrifying um it's also like i don't know if we should spoil this movie or let's not. not spoil it it's yeah. still like new enough that i feel like people maybe haven't seen it um so definitely worth a watch it's got a really interesting plot twist all of Jordan Peele's movies have very interesting and unique plot twists and they're all like, all right, here's what you know about this horror trope. Let me turn it on its head and like make it unique, make it fresh, make it interesting. Right. And they're all like really relevant culturally to yes. today and like some, some social issues Yes. That I think everybody can recognize that like you expect one thing to be the horror, but then the horror is like the real thing that we all just kind of ignore in real life. <laughs> right. And I, I just, uh, after the strike is over, I just so badly want to see more spooky movies from him because I'm like, I only have three. Let me just <laughs> rewatch yeah. these. Yeah. 
He's also great on the Twilight Zone remake yeah. as the host. He was really good on that. Um, so since we're in Santa Barbara, we should talk about Santa Carla, a.k.a. The Lost Boys, which also, again, another banging 80s soundtrack. So good. Um, and really, up until this point, because um, this was Joel Schumacher, up until this point, vampire movies weren't youthful. Like, you had Christopher Lee, who... You know, as like Hammer Dracula was considered like sexy, kinda. I don't, I don't find him sexy, but like to each their own. But he was like kind of suave and sophisticated. But they didn't really have like young, beautiful men playing vampires. And so, you know, the tagline of Lost Boys is "Sleep all day, party all night. It's fun to be a vampire." And then you have all of these beautiful um, and young and very, like, relevant actors to that time, like uh, Keith or Sutherland. Like, um, this was really the height of, like, wow, you're attractive, but you are very scary in this moment, Keith or Sutherland. Yes. Which, we'll, we, you, if you listen to all of our episodes, we will discuss him or have already discussed him, depending on when this comes out, in um, one of our other book-related Yes. <laughs> episodes um but you know and then you have the Corys and you have both the Corys in it um and then you have Jason Patrick in it who plays uh the main character Michael gosh just like the best hair dreamy so dreamy does he also wear like a dangly he wears dangly earring um it's really funny because at one point when there's a sex scene in that it's because it's Joel Schumacher it's very much the male gaze isn't on Star, it's on Michael because Joel Schumacher is gay. So <laughs> I was like, you know what? I appreciate that. Thank I, you, Joel. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. We don't get that a lot, but it is very much like focused more on him and less on her. Um, so if you haven't seen the film, you should. My God, why haven't you already? But um, it is about two boys and their mom who is recently divorced, moving from Arizona to Santa Carla, California. And they are moving in with their grandpa. And you right away know that things are kind of like it starts with the door singing like people are strange. And you already know that something is amiss because, like, them just venturing out into uh, the boardwalk, there's a lot of missing people signs. Like, you see on the back of the, like, welcome to Santa Carla. It's, like, murder capital of the world. So you know right away that, like, something's amiss, that, like, there's bad things afoot. And so they notice that, like... Michael is trying to find like a job on the boardwalk he's looking and he meets the wrong people of course and so he gets involved with like this gang and at first he's like they're just like a gang and they're like kind of jerks and then (laughs) quickly realizes that they're like (laughs) they're vampires (laughs) blood-sucking vampires (laughs) which is juxtaposed with like the Corey's meeting what well, Corey Haim is the um the younger brother and it, he notices his brother's acting funny and then he goes to like this comic book store and he's the type of person that doesn't look like he would know anything about comics and like the other the frog brothers which is uh <laughs> Corey Cor- Feldman Corey Feldman and um who's the other brother and they also truth justice in the american way <laughs> i love right love love me some frog brothers um 
Jameson Newlander is Alan. So uh, these two brothers essentially are like, your brother's a blood-sucking vampire. You have to kill him. And he's like, I can't kill my brother. <laughs> um, yeah. And so this movie leads to them trying to cure Michael of his vampirism and also find out who the head vampire is. And they think it's Keith or Sutherland's character who is so good at being like a vampire. Also, we didn't even mention uh, Bill and Ted's... Uh, <laughs> We didn't mention Alex uh, Winters yeah. is also in it, which he's got like a crazy mullet in it. But I remember I was just, I had like a little bit of a crush on him at that point because I had just seen after I saw, before I saw this movie, I saw Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I was like, he wears that cool crop top. Like he's very like, cute. I like his curly hair. He's got hair. a crop top. He's got the Justin Timberlake ramen noodle hair, mm-hmm. which was like a vibe back then. Yep. Yep. But his is like all natural. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's not the bleached and the no pasted. His was all natural. Um, so you got all these like vampires, and essentially, um, they set it up to this be this big face off of like them invading the home and then preparing. Like, there's a whole montage scene of them getting ready to face off uh, the vampire. So you have like a bath of holy water and garlic water. So one of the vampires like melts in the bathtub. Yeah. Um. It's also, this movie also has just some ridiculous like one liners that Beth and I quote a lot. Yes. That's, that's a, I mean, I guess it's not like, well, it is like a love language. I feel like the, probably a good 75% of my everyday vernacular is really just movie quotes. Yeah. And that's how I communicate things most of the time. But yes. they're just noodles. <laughs> they're just noodles. <laughs> how could, uh, was it, how could 7 billion people be wrong? Yeah. <laughs> how could 7 billion people be wrong, Michael? Yeah. And it's also got that, um... The Cry Little Sister song. And the sax man. How can we forget the sax man? I don't ever want to sing more than a line on this because I'm like, we can't license anything. So nobody sue us. We're just trying to talk about good soundtracks. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. And it's, to me, it's kind of a quintessential modern vampire movie. Yeah. And it really ushered in an age, like, if we didn't see The Lost Boys, I don't think we would have seen, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer or angel or just any kind of modern vampire movie yeah i agree jumping sideways from Corey feldman and that there is another horror comedy that involves Corey feldman summertime do you know what i'm gonna say i don't but i'm, I'm it also involves america's dad tom hanks <laughs> It's the Burbs. Yeah, I was gonna say, wait, are we? Are, oh, it was one on of, the tip of my tongue. One of my favorite movies of all time, The Burbs. Uh, man, this movie also has a lot of great quotable one-liners. Mm-hmm. But it is essentially it's from um it's from 1989. It actually came out in February, but it is set like in the summertime, which makes sense. So I was essentially three years old when this came out, and I love it. <laughs> but um. It's uh, it's Tom Hanks. He's Ray Peterson, and he's like got a week off from work, so he's like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to stay home, and like lounge, and like maybe you know take care of my yard and hang out with my neighbor buddies who I kind of like but kind of hate, and that's like all I want to do. And his wife is Carrie Fisher. Actually, plays his yes, wife in I this movie. Yes, I did know that. Yes, and um, he 
during this week home becomes super fixated on his next door neighbors, the Klopex, who are just a bunch of like very strange uh, people who like the the patriarch of the family has this mysterious, maybe like Eastern European, maybe Slavic accent. Um, and they keep hearing weird noises in the basement. And these are kind of newer neighbors. And he has <laughs> these other neighbors in, in his like little cul-de-sac. Um, there's art who is, oh, it's Laura Dern's dad, Bruce Dern. Oh, Bruce Dern. Yeah. He's um, like, he's a Vietnam vet like uh, your first introduction to him is running the flag up the flagpole and saluting it in the morning while playing the national anthem. And then there's uh, Mark is his other friend. And Corey Feldman is one of the neighborhood kids who kind of like, he's like, I got nothing else to do. I'm going to hang out with like Mr. Peterson and Mr. Rumsfeld and see what's going on. And together as they, as this like week progresses, they all start to assume that the Klopex are actually murderers and um they see like one of the kids one of the Klopek kids like the younger guy is like hauling like a huge garbage bag out and then just like punching the crap out of it to make it like go into the garbage can and um the same night like it starts raining and during the rainstorm Ray like looks outside and he sees them digging in the backyard which is very suspicious and so the next morning they like jump the garbage truck and start digging through the garbage bags to see if they find oh any God. dead bodies or anything. But there's there's nothing. They go inside. They have this other neighbor that they hate. He's like really rude. He's got this little frou-frou dog that comes and poops in like Art's front yard all the time and he gets mad about it. And they see the dog running loose. And so that that's weird that he doesn't like he doesn't usually let the right. dog do that. So they go to check on him and Corey Feldman goes with them. Corey Feldman plays Ricky. <laughs> and so they go inside Walter's house and it's like trashed and they find his toupee, but no Walter. Uh Oh, and so Ray takes the dog and he puts the toupee like back through the mail slot after they leave, which is hysterical. <laughs> and he like turns around and he sees one of the Klopex watching him. And so they're like, oh, no, like they used Walter as a human sacrifice. They killed him. And then Ray goes digging in the backyard, like along the fence line. Um, and I think the dog actually helps dig it up. And there's like a human femur that they pull oh up. God. And the scene is so good of just like Tom Hanks and like his buddy. And they're like holding a bone and just like screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's like another thing where they're like well don't you remember like the, the ice cream truck killer and he like he put the bodies in the cooler and you remember this and everyone was like why do these milkshakes smell like death and it's because he murdered people oh and my he's God. like maybe it was you know subliminal messaging you know ray have you heard it satan is a friend satan is her pal it's, <laughs> oh, it's so many stupid one-liners but they yeah so they think their neighbors are murderers and it's just sort of it all could have been solved if they would have just made like a simple decision to be like, Hey, what happened to our neighbor? Maybe we should ask the cops or whatever. Which is funny because that's almost similar in premise and plot to uh, a lesser known, but newer movie um, summer of 84, which is about young boys. The one boy is a paper boy throughout the neighborhood and they keep finding missing kids. And he suspects that it is his neighbor and like it's essentially him and his buddies like investigating this neighbor and 
without giving too much away it's the same it's the same premise that they think their neighbor is a murderer and so they're trying to find ways to like find out if it that truly is the case but the the twist it's a really good twist at the end um <laughs> and it's like a very serious like horror movie um but that one's also really good uh there is like a another plot twist at the end that like got me and it does not end the way I was expecting it to um so if you're looking for like a newer horror movie that's set it's called summer of 84 because it's literally set in 1984 um that would be one to check out and I feel like we should end soon but I think we before we end we should talk about sleepaway camp since we mentioned it so um for those of you who have not watched Sleepaway Camp, this was a movie made in the 80s. The premise of it is about a, a girl named Angela who is going to this summer camp and she's new and she's very shy. I think she's with her cousin yes. and um, she doesn't want to really participate in many of the activities and all the kids, pardon my French, they're like assholes yeah. like, throughout the entire thing. And then shortly as they're in the camp people start getting hurt so like the cook who's like kind of creepy anyways gets like burning water thrown all over him so he gets like third degree burns and then like people start getting like picked off one by one and so they're trying to figure out who the killer is peak aesthetic in this movie all the boys are wearing short shorts and crop shirts um everyone's wearing short shorts and crop shirts and this has probably one of the most wild plot twists of all time for like slasher movies um like it to this day like it it's considered like one of the biggest plot twists of all time um but it has like people have really visceral reactions so it's it's one movie that i can like understand the value for is it a movie i like not necessarily um it makes me feel squicky there's not a lot of characters that you you identify with there's not a lot of characters that you like can root for because they're all kind of jerks like really big jerks and then the plot twist is so wild that you're just like uh what and then you kind of understand why Angela is the way she is yes yeah certainly in the context of the story it makes sense I guess we'll say as a plot twist as a resolution to the film I personally hate it, and I I don't know how to explain that without spoiling the twist. So I'm going to say, if you haven't seen it, just, like, skip ahead a minute in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say something, and then you'll be spoiler-free, because it's not going to take me a minute to say it. So just skip ahead a minute if you don't want this spoiled for you. If you don't care, just listen on. So my issue with this is that I do not like that this sort of plays into the villainization of trans people. Oh, for sure. For sure. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I would say the only, I obviously I don't identify that way, um, but I am in the horror community and there are some people that do identify that think that movie is fine. I, I don't feel like, because I'm not in that I am just supportive and an ally I try to be cognizant of these things I feel like everybody gets to make their own judgment on it and I'm not going to be like well you're wrong because it is such a visceral reaction and as I said leading up to that point 
do you feel bad for any of the people that die? No, no. because they're all assholes. Yep. There's a girl that gets murdered and you're like, good, <laughs> glad, goodbye. But it's just one of those movies that if you don't know what the ending is, it's really shocking. Oh, 100%. I, I would say it is a good contender to be in the slasher genre. So if you're looking for a very much a summertime movie that's not Friday the 13th that you are going in kind of blind to, this would be an okay one. But um, if you, I don't know what to say to like without giving any spoilers away. If uh, you are if you are sensitive to um, certain minority groups. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you are part of a minority group and you are sensitive to how society has kind of misconstrued some things about them, uh, go on like the does the dog die.com first and look yep. it up because yep. it'll give you any trigger warnings before you watch it. If, if you're not triggered by those kind of things, um, don't look up what happens in the movie first, go into it blind because it's much more thrilling, uh, to see it happen in real time than to know it's coming. Yeah, the the twist is honestly, like, one of the most iconic, like, twists in horror films. Like, the the image is, like, eviscerated in everybody's brains once you've seen it. You can't unsee it. Yeah. So, on that note, we gave you a lot of horror films to think about, percolate on, watch, of course, I don't even think we went through every single movie on our list, but if we did, we would be here for hours. Yeah. Off the top of my head, there's there's like a, a probably like enough to go on both hands that I could mention right now that also go to the list. You can watch them. I'm sure that there are plenty of listicles online if you just want to search for summer horror films. For sure. But I feel like we gave you guys some new stuff, some old stuff, some underrated stuff, and stuff that you're like oh yeah i've seen that a million times but thank you for thank you i'm gonna knock knock and like yes that's right that's a great movie yeah so uh once again thank you for listening to the lake erie library and uh we will come back to you guys soon that's right uh please subscribe please comment please rate us that helps us tell your friends if you love us keep listening if you hate us tell your enemies You can follow us on Instagram at the Lake Erie Library. It's Erie with two Two E's, E's. as in spooky. And uh, we'll catch you next time. All right. Have a good one. Stay spooky. Spooky.